0: Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, we look ahead to Friday's jobs report, manufacturing data out of China, and the rest of the economic calendar.
1: This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Steven Grosser.
0: Hello and welcome to the Money Beat podcast. I'm Steve Grosser. I'm joined here in the studio with Spencer Jacob and Chris Dietrich, and on the phone from DC, is our colleague Josh Sumbrum? Thank you for joining us, Josh. Thanks for having me. Um, so this is our you know our week ahead, and we have as usual we're going to have the it's the first Friday of the month, and that means it's Jobs Friday, which you know the MoneyBeat team loves because we're live blogging every single moment of that. But um, <laughs> Josh, what I want to get your take on this uh, Jobs report because the Fed has pretty much made it clear that it is um, raising rates in. Uh, December the uh, the CMEs fed fund futures has I think it close to a hundred percent chance that it's going to be raising rates I is it, what what is how much does this jobs report going to matter to the fed and if it comes in with a really big miss does it even matter
1: well I think there's I think this is a really interesting jobs report for two reasons. One is it's pretty much the only thing, I think, that could get the Fed off this course of raising rates in December. I mean, they've they've really indicated that they're uh, really itching to go. And I think it would have to be, you know, if this were a bad report, maybe you would see some maybe you would see them them kind of signaling, whoa, wait a second. But I think it would have to be a really bad report. The other reason that this is a really interesting one, though, is because this is going to be some of the first uh, real big economic data that we're getting after the presidential election. You know, this, this, this will be based off, this will be the November jobs report, which is actually conducted in the middle of the month. So it was conducted a little bit after the election. And so, you know, it's going to be really interesting to start seeing economic data that actually reflects the outcome, uh, you know, the outcome of the election. I mean, take it with a grain of salt, right? I mean, it's not like companies hear the election results and immediately hire and fire a bunch Martin. of people. But, you know, we're going to start seeing data that does have that, that, um, that did, did, you know, it is describing what the economy looks like after the election. So we've already seen, you know, the big markets reaction there uh, post-election. And now we're going to start seeing, you know, whether or not there's, there's an economic data reaction at all.
2: Yeah, I, I just, yeah it was a, remember way back when... 2006 and before, when a jobs report was just a jobs report, when it wasn't, we didn't, you know, it wasn't a way to handicap what the Federal Reserve was going to do. I mean, that's that's the way it used to be. It used to be like, how's the economy looking? And a single uh, anomaly wouldn't, um, you know, wouldn't freak you out. But it also, I mean, bad news was bad news, and good news was good news, and that's we haven't had that in a very, very long time, where it's always ambiguous. You had a bad reading. And you could see a silver lining in it uh, if you were along stocks or commodities in the sense that the Fed would uh, be lower for longer or or vice versa. You'd have a great report and then freak out because that was that was giving more of a green light to raise. Now, I mean, with 100% certainty built into the market, at least, it's it's just about jobs. And uh, you can have an outlier, of course. Well, I don't agree with, with Josh 100%, though, on the point that he made that it's the only thing because- an outlier in the jobs, you'd have to be a pretty major outlier to, to divert the Fed. But you could still have something in the next several days, uh, conceivably, uh, like well, a market people... market dislocation. I think that, that now is the more likely culprit. If anything is going to derail them, just with the, the surge you've had in yields and emerging markets looking very uh, very vulnerable and stuff like that, that that's the thing that I, I think, unfortunately, that, that's what you have to look out for.
0: And people pointed to, to your point, like the Italian referendum, or we were, we were talking about that on our Friday podcast, just essentially being, um, you know, traders are actually looking past this and not too worried. But you could see a vote there if that caused, you know, sort of the market volatility that you're talking about, mm. um, maybe making the Fed a little bit nervous, as Brexit did um, earlier this year. You know, I think it's a possibility that you could have something
1: in in the market. I mean, never say never on, on something like that. But, you know, the speeches they had been giving, they'd been giving speeches through last week, um, already incorporated the fact that the yields had gone up and i mean so certainly if yields spiked way higher uh then maybe it could it could knock them off course i don't think stocks falling back down would would likely change their course because you know there's almost no way that stocks are going to in you know into the week lower than they were a month ago i mean they've they've risen so much that if a little bit of give back the fed would just interpret as you know, they, I mean, they wouldn't look at. They they tend to take a longer view of things, and so, you know, if stocks go up a thousand points and down 400 points. Everybody in the market freaks out, but the Fed kind of steps back yeah. and says, "All right, well, we're still up 600 points from where we were, you know, when we were last talking about this." So, I mean, I think the the possibility for the market to to do it is is is, is actually fairly low at this point. But I but I think a I think a really bad jobs report, and we've had a couple of really bad ones. I, you know, Mike. I think. I think I think you're more likely to get the outlier there, but you're right. It would have to be an outlier. It would have to be a bad report.
2: Yeah, I, I think the U.S. market. I mean, it would have to be a you know October '87 type thing to really derail them. So I agree with you. The U.S. market giving back 400 points is not gonna not gonna do it, given how many we've tacked on. But there are other markets in the world, and and not just markets, but there are eco- vulnerable economies. If you had a run on a currency, a run on a you know, you had a, a large emerging market, you know, going to meltdown, which is not. Out of the, it's a low probability event. Granted, you know, but it's that 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 would, you know, then that has economic repercussions and there are that. Yeah, I mean, I think like the that. takeaway is they're probably going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's it's a low probability, very low probability, high impact event we're we're talking about. But so that's that's still, that's the more likely thing than than the the number, you know, spooking them. So uh, we're the still in the
0: 99 percent for uh, a rate hike in December.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent is a little too confident yeah. of anything in markets. I think one hundred point two. Remember when it got to that? Yeah, yeah. I think that was a bit of a um, that was a bit of a glitch in the system. But yeah.
0: What about on Wednesday? We do have a bunch of data coming out from China. Uh, you have the the PMIs. Uh, what should we be looking for there?
1: Well, you know, again, I think the interesting thing with this round of PMIs. So, you know, the first of the month is always when these all get released, and Wednesday will be the first of the month in China um, since they're a few hours ahead the the thing to watch with these is that this is going to be some of the first big international data that really reflects, you know, post-election stuff. And I think post, I mean, I think manufacturing is one place where, um, it's really kind of a wild card what, what this post-election world is going to mean. I mean, obviously so much of Donald Trump's campaign was, you know, we got to renegotiate our trade deals and we got it. We're getting killed on trade and we have to do something different. Um, and most of his proposals along those lines are, are things that economists, of course, have, have always thought is, is the wrong way to, <laughs> to address the problems he's described. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting what manufacturers all around the world start doing in, in response to that. And so this data is going to have kind of our, our first look at how global manufacturing is, is um, adapting to the new, uh, you know, Donald Trump's America. It is an interesting point. And, and to Spencer's earlier, it does seem now that globally and in the U.S., good news is good news, bad news is bad news. I mean, the markets have already priced in as a given in two and a half weeks that the U.S. economy is going to be stronger, inflation is going to rise. And so, yeah, it seems like really from now on the data hopefully should reflect that, even though we're still, what, a a, (laughs) a month and a half away from inauguration. I mean, now is from now on, right? the data yeah, I mean, has to support the You know, and the, it, you know if, you're, if you're a company, if you're a big industrial producer in Mexico, I mean, you have to probably start thinking about, like, you know, all right, do I really want to scale up my production by 10% in 2017 the, the way I was planning to when I thought, you know, if you, know, if you thought Hillary Clinton was going to win that election, you think, all right, well, I can continue to grow my factory in Mexico. I mean, you might conceivably be rethinking that kind of a plan right now. I think you're at least looking at it. So... Uh, You know, I think you could start to see um, some interesting, you could potentially start to see some interesting things in this report pretty quickly. But, you know, at this point, we, we don't know yet, because so far, everything's been based off speculation about what the impact will be. And, you know, now we're starting to get data on what the impact was.
0: And what was interesting, October's uh, manufacturing PMI for China was at its highest level in two years. You saw that really play out also in the copper markets where copper started rallying um, well before the election and has continued to sort of rally. Um, and it was based you know, very much on this expectation that China's economy was improving and manufacturing China was picking up. There's going to be more demand. If that starts to pull back because of concerns about, you know, um, trade policy and stuff like that, that's something to watch. And this might be this number might be too early to really fully sort of to see that. But it's something to watch going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Probably too early to really see clear things in the data. I mean, even if it's down this month, you know, it could kind of just be noise rather than actual, you know, than an actual clear sign that manufacturing is reacting. But but you know, once you've had once you've had this report and then a few more reports, you start to get a clearer picture. And this is when we this is when we'll start to see it. But it'll be probably a few months before we really know what's going on.
0: We also get a revision from third quarter GDP, which. Um, doesn't tend to get a lot of uh attention but do you think it will get more attention this week
1: well it 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 depends probably not i mean cuz at this point it's pretty old data it's the third quarter so you know it's we're talking about july august september and you know and it's kind of it's kind of one of those things about who cares what happened yeah, <laughs> who cares no. what happened in september this is a whole new world now um, so so i think this is probably going to be not a, a super interesting report. I mean, the other problem with this report is there was definitely a snapback effect. We kind of had a weak second quarter, a weak first quarter, and there was a little bit of a snapback effect in the third quarter. And so kind of already nobody knew what to make of the third quarter's report, you know, how much of it was any sort of economic strength, how much of it was just snapback. And so, I mean, I think that question remains. And then it's also just, like I said, the old data. So I think you put those two things together And I don't think this will be a very exciting, um, you know, I don't think this is going to be a report that's going to have a lot of people, uh, you know, making big changes to how they view the economy because of it.
0: And also the economic data coming in lately has been stronger. I mean, Durable Goods was a solid report um, uh, last week. But, you know, the interesting thing,
2: though, right, is that we're in this mode since the election, at least, where people are are not very focused on, um, I guess, uh, trailing or concurrent economic yeah. numbers, right because the markets are are reacting to what may be in in two thousand seventeen i mean you 've had this this tremendous uh jump in in yields uh in the u s um that 's going to have some real economic impacts down the road you know we 'll see it 's a kind of a good kind of stress test for the the economy to see if it can can handle that but uh it 's all in reaction to what, things that haven't been done yet or policies that haven't even been fleshed out just a a perception based on the words of a, a guy who you know is a you know, not doesn't have any any, any much well, written down we don't know who you know who's going to be uh, doing his policy and we don't know what form any stimulus may take it's a reflation trade that you know we are just bracing for that hasn't happened yet
0: i mean this came up on one of our podcasts last week where we just sort of talked about how the market very much seems right now to be buying the rumor the question is, next year, are they going to you know, sell the news? Because they don't know what policies are actually going to get through. They don't know, for example, you know, what uh, the fiscal stimulus is going to look like and what form it's going to uh, mm-hmm. take. And is that going to disappoint investors after pushing up stocks to record highs? You've seen, you know, we were talking about uh, small caps. Small mm-hmm. caps have been on a 15-day winning streak. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know... <laughs> <laughs> their backward uh, price uh, price earnings ratio has gone from around just about just I think it was just under eighteen to twenty now two and a half um, weeks yeah and two and a yeah, half that's, weeks that's that's an awfully big move the stuff the is getting pricey in the in the stock market right now yeah
2: Espe- and and certain pockets of it especially yeah yeah
0: so it'll be interesting um, is there anything else we should be looking out for uh, on the economic calendar next week
1: you know I mean. It- this hasn't been a traditionally interesting report in recent years, but I'm actually been paying, I've actually been paying kind of close attention to jobless claims recently just because, you know, we get that every single week. It's kind of like our best piece of high-frequency economic data. And so, you know, if this really does provide a, a jolt to the economy, uh, you know, that's actually going to be one of the places we start to see it. And, and, and claims are also interesting because, you know, if there's a downturn, if, if everybody has this wrong, um, you know, claims is, is where you start to see it. So I've actually been kind of watching the claims every Thursday. I haven't done that in a few years, but I've been watching the claims every Thursday because I think that's um, you know just an interesting hard data point that we're actually getting. Um, and it hasn't done anything too interesting yet. But, but, but I mean,
0: it's been plumbing. To you know, to. it's been plumbing lows. I mean, uh, you look at it. It's I think it's ninety weeks now that has been under three hundred thousand. That hasn't happened to them since the I think nineteen seventy. Uh, early 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 70s, um, and also I, th- I think like just two weeks ago or three weeks ago it, it hit. It was in the 230,000, um, which was
2: yeah. The, you know, the, and the interesting thing, uh, the, or the I guess frustrating thing about that number is that you can't. You know, all these other things you can at least benchmark against the yeah. You know, but it's a little bit like looking at a I don't know pitcher's ERA or a batting average and comparing it to some guy in the 30s. I mean, you can't. It's like a different number. I mean, the, no. the, the number because it's an absolute number from around the country. It's lower than it was in 1973. You had a lot fewer people, people in 1973, exactly. and you had a lot don't more guys who were unionized in in 73. Who the second they were laid off, you know, they they all go and, and file claims. Whereas now, many people don't do it. So it it really really is. Uh, it's a head-scratcher. It's a really different number uh, than, than it was It's just amazing then. how low
1: it is. It's just yeah. amazing how low it is. It, you know, it's something that we've written about at the journal quite a bit, but I think it's something that hasn't really reached popular awareness yet. Like, you know, for whatever reason, and, and you know, there's measures that don't just look at claims that show the same thing. There's, you know, they, surveys of companies, surveys of individuals. You know, the, the, late, the number of people getting laid off in the U.S. economy is extremely low right now. Uh, and I don't think people are, are broadly aware of that. It's a kind of a very peculiar um, fact about the U.S. labor market that people haven't really incorporated into their views of, of how the world works. And, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I just I'm, – I'm fascinated to see if it, if it can continue at these low levels. And if it does, when people start to kind of adapt their behavior accordingly, I mean, it has – you know, if you have no chance of um, – if you have very low chances of getting – laid off, it really ought to uh, kind of change the way people think about a lot of things, including their own careers. But I don't think it's penetrated popular awareness yet at all.
0: Oh, that's a very good point.
2: Well, although, I mean, maybe that's that's a reason to, um, you know, be anticipating some inflation. A better is a real concrete reason to anticipate some inflation, because especially in the lower skilled uh, part of the labor force, you know, you, you've you got wage pressure bubbling up. I mean, you have a lot of anecdotal evidence of that. And, and that Feeds through to the prices companies have to charge for all kinds of uh, goods and services, but especially services.
0: I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, thank you, Josh, for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Spencer Jacob and Chris Dietrich, and we'll see you next week.
1: Are you a savvy consumer? Get the latest tips on personal finance by listening to Money, Markets, and More only on WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.